<laughs> yeah. I don't mind recording it like this. In fact, I've been recording the whole time. That's kind of how I roll. No Is, um, I'm sure you'll edit however you see fit. Oh, for sure. But I'm just saying, when you go back and listen, if you're like, is my voice normally this high? I'm going to say, no, it's not. It's normally richer. Oh, thank you. You know, of course. I mean, I've known you. This is part of the interesting thing is like, I feel like I've known you for like eight or nine years now. Yes, I would say that. Yeah, it's because uh, yeah. I've been in I've been in L.A. between eight and nine years. So and yeah. that's when I got to know you. Yeah, for sure. Like I didn't meet you until then. Although uh-huh. um, you've always come across very young. Oh, yeah. But also very much like an adult. It feels like you've been an adult <laughs> since you were six years old. And I just happened to meet like a 21 year old adult when I met you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I've been 45 since I was 12. <laughs> Did something happen at 11 that made you an adult at 12? No, what I trace it back to is I used to get all these stories from my parents and my aunt and uncle and anyone who was around me when I was a toddler who would mm-hmm. tell me that if uh, when when they would put me down after carrying me, I would immediately start running towards traffic. That was kind of my <laughs> MO as a toddler. I had this this sincere death wish with utter joy mm-hmm. uh, abounding. So I, so yeah, I, I hurt myself a lot of times as a, a toddler just through my own, you know, inability to be contained. Oh, for sure. Actually, if I was to describe your personality through a thing that I completely made up in my head, it would yeah. seem like if I was to make a stew movie and there was a, there's your eight-year-old birthday party, They'd cut you a piece of cake and you're like, oh, that's way too big. I only need half of this. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, exhibiting restraint and, you know, wearing a monocle and, uh, (laughs) yeah, having that adult discipline for like, oh, you know, that's sugar and carbs. Are you kidding me? It's past seven (laughs) o'clock. I, I, I shan't. I shan't. Yeah. It's like Um, you put yourself to bed at night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think what happened was I peaked early as far as energy was concerned. And it's and it ended around four, and it was just a slow descent. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe I just like learned how to worry early or something like that. Where I just got these <laughs> adult qualities that yeah. you know maybe wouldn't normally be thrust upon someone that age. So yeah, you seem to have understood consequence before others before you even experienced consequence. You like understood it. Yeah. Do you do you have siblings? I do. I have two brothers and one sister. Are, where are you in the in the chronologically? I'm the second of four. Okay, so I don't know if you feel this as the second of several, but as the first of two, mm-hmm. I felt I felt that responsibility real early. Like it's am, guessable that you're the oldest. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I was. The, I am the example, mm-hmm. and that. And I have to, and I have this sort of like unreasonable sense of responsibility kind of thrown at me. My dad uh, is has a very dry sense of humor, and when my brother was born, I was about five and a half, and he said, "Okay, from now on, everything is your fault." <laughs> <laughs> now, if I was twenty, that'd be really funny. But when yeah. you're five, you kind of take it literally, and yeah. <laughs> so it was. It was just one of those things that I. Uh, kind of took to heart to a degree 
And I understand. I could still feel where you did. Yeah. Like I, and, that makes more, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So now, I mean, I definitely have, it's not like I have like bad boundaries with my brother or anything like that. He's, but I do very much think about like letting him be his own man as he, as he continues to grow and, and figure stuff out. Cause you know, I, 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 I'm, I've, I've, <laughs> I've adopted this very, very slight switch in like how I respond to people. Cause we're around people who are going through all kinds of stuff, you know, not just COVID related, just life related. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, Hey, do you want me to just listen to you? Or do you want me to actually give you feedback? That is like a slogan that I have with talking to people. I feel like we're two adults in a, in a world full of infants. I mean, like, uh, even when we're dealing with people like that are in their 40s and 50s in comedy, they yeah. act like infants. Well, there's, a, there's your age and then there's your comedy age. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've been doing comedy for a little over 11 years now. And mm-hmm. so that makes me about an 11 and a half year old when it comes to, you know, how I approach the business. You know, mm-hmm. someone who's been doing it for 20 years might act more like a 20 year old, someone who's, you know, clear, you know, more of an adult about it. For uh, sure. I get that. Someone who's but two years in, thinking, oh, they're like sorry, a two-year-old. Yeah. No, someone who's two true. years in, yeah. That's very true. What I was thinking about is like, I remember even when I was just first starting, like two years in, and other people that were also two years in, yeah. they would go like, they'd start smoking weed. And if I was like outside, I'd see them like, look at me and then turn the corner and continue to smoke weed with each other. As if it was just like, oh, let's, let's not bother Aaron with our weed smoking. Yeah. And you're just like, guys, I don't care. You know, and they're just like, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I do think it's funny when people notice that you have some sort of morality uh, <laughs> about anything and they just assume, I, I can't tell you how many people have assumed that I don't drink mm-hmm. um, or assumed that I don't do any kind of drugs. Um, so uh, it's not that I'm, it's Would not you that like I to clear the air and tell everybody how much you drink and how many drugs you do. Uh, I do one drug and I do uh, one drink. <laughs> uh, the doctor said that I yeah. should do both of those. Oh yeah, I mean it's like I, I'm not a, I'm not against either of those those things, and I'm not against people doing those things. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know mo- we're around so many people when you know especially pre COVID, uh, you know all the people we spend our time mm-hmm. around, uh, <laughs> so many people who suffer from some form of mental illness or just lack of boundaries. Uh, <laughs> Because they're trying to, you know, you know, feel their, you know, feel their feelings and be independent mm-hmm. of whatever they needed to be independent of. But um, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against doing it. I love, I love a, a an edible gummy. Uh, mm-hmm. I like a, I like a nice beer. I'm getting but a little bit more thing, into wine. Is that you said that without any plural? You're like, I like an edible gummy. You know your, you know your boundaries, and you're like, I like a beer. Yeah, and no, they're like, oh, I like beers. Yeah, no, they're strong enough. Yeah, they, they do they do the trick all on their own. But that's the adult part of you, is I'm saying like there's the responsibility of like, oh, yes, yes, yes. One edible gummy is strong enough for me, which, by the way, is what I'm at. I know yeah, sure. that it's like, I only need one. If someone's like, well, let's do two, you're like, one's enough. I just need to get off yeah. the ground. I'm not trying to soar. Yeah, what, did, I remember we had a conversation. Wasn't your, wasn't your family very religious? Was that yeah. a... Yeah, raised Mormon. Okay. So, and, and you've sort of, and you've distanced yourself from that. Is that as a teenager? Okay. Yeah, cool. Like even like at 13, I was like, this isn't my way. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I mean that I definitely heard and seen 
those who come from that super religious background, mm-hmm. you know, really stray from that and like try to go the complete other end of the spectrum, you know, where they're, you know, they're, you know, piercing whatever they can pierce mm-hmm. and they're, you know, taking, you know, anything that they can put, they can consume. I mean, notice the sleeve of G rated movie tattoos. Or I, I, I couldn't tell what the tattoos were exactly. Is that is that Paper Moon there? What's going on? <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, I mean that's Han Solo. Oh, that's the Carbonite. Yeah, back. yeah. And then I got Ghostbusters. Sure. Yeah. You know, Brave Little Toaster. Yeah. Do it. Do it brings you brings you joy, dude. Mm-hmm. But this exactly. It's like there's a rebellion, but there's still like the the innocence of Mormonism still with me. Oh sure. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. some some stuff's hard to hard to shed. I uh, for me, it's I my my rebellion is in dedicating a career to you know a very uh unstable art form <laughs> yeah but i'm saying that like i feel like that both of us don't go about it unstably like even when like mm. i first met you i mean i met you probably six months into my stand-up career okay so you've seen me from like, the beginning but i also no. feel like every time i've watched you like you're working something out there's a reason there's a purpose there's a goal and i feel like i try to do the same but we've also seen a lot of people that are just like, oh, no, my my goal is just to fuck shit up, like from beginning <laughs> to end. That's what I'm doing. Like we we both are like stable people in an unstable world. I mean, like you work the door at the comedy store, uh-huh. but also still remained a, an adult through the whole thing. Yeah, you could say that. I think uh, it is weird when a dungeon becomes your cheers. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I really I really dug work in there because you i think no matter where i've been in a comedy community whether it was in la or in san francisco where i started or just when i'm visiting another city i've always found the adults mm-hmm. and you know there's and it's not to say that the the people who act more childish or have any less value that's their thing that works for them i just there i have a i kind of have a limit as to how long i can be around that Oh, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. I get it. Like it was, but I found like there was a fascination I had with you working the door. Cause I don't feel like I could have worked the door at the comedy store. I don't feel not, like I had the personality. Not for everybody. It's not for everybody, but I was like, but yet there's also everybody in comedy also kind of dreams of hanging out there too much. And I was like, Oh look, he found a way to do that and not lose himself. Cause some people get in there and they just completely lose themselves. Well, that was the thing. I was I, I was there long enough to fear losing something mm-hmm. in me, and I had been there long enough to see people kind of come and go, and mm-hmm. I had you know seen the people who are kind of the uh, the barflies there when I started, and I was like, oh, how'd that happen? And then I'd see other people become that. It's like you just you know that's the the beauty of age is the is wisdom with regard to the passage of time. Mm-hmm. You get to see people progress or transgress or digress, whatever, whatever you want it to be. And I reached a point where I was like in, I, I thought about it for, I thought about leaving for about a year. Mm. You know, the whole, basically all of 2016, I thought about leaving. Cause I was like, I've been there. I, I treated it like uh, grad school. Cause I, yeah, cause I, it I, is. Yeah. I fin I finished, you know, real college mm-hmm. and, I had an opportunity to move to LA, so I did, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I happened to get hired, you know, less than a few weeks after moving. Yeah, uh, totally. So, you know, when people ask me, like, you know, how, how, how'd you get that? How'd you get that? It's like I can tell you, it's not a, it's not going to make you feel better. 
<laughs> I don't I don't know how relatable a story it is. Um, but I'm I'm grateful for what I got out of it. And the uh but after four years, that's kind of where you're at that like, you know, master's PhD kind of level of schooling. And you're like, how much more fucking school is it gonna be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, is it okay if I swear? Yeah, please go ahead. Uh, uh, okay. I am um, but there's it was one of those things where I was like, okay, you know, when do we, you know, what's, I I was, I don't pray much, but I was like asking or hoping for some sort of sign to say like, okay, we're done here. Yeah. What was the straw that broke the camel's back where you're like, oh, I am done. Well, in 2015, in the fall, I placed in the San Francisco comedy competition. I got Mm -hmm. third. Nice. Congrats. Thank you very much. It Mm -hmm. was not something I expected to be able to do. I thought I was going to maybe make it past the first round, but who knows? You know, there were mm-hmm. a lot of funny people that I was around. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle it. You know, it's because we were performing in casinos and, mm-hmm. and colleges and small theaters and like dive bars. It was a real mix. And it was like, I don't know if I'm meant for all these things. But for but somehow, some way, I I made it through. And it kind of gave me this idea. It's like, well, if I can handle these road shows. Mm-hmm. I could handle doing more road shows and it kind of gave me this confidence to start branching out and, you know, asking people to open for them and, uh, you know, reaching out to other clubs and, you know, slowly but surely places got back to me. And 2016 was a year when I did a lot of that. You know, mm-hmm. I was on the road uh, quite a bit and, you know, I don't know, you know, I still kind of go back and forth on how much time I want to spend out of town with um you know, doing stand-up because travel the travel is exhausting yeah and you know stability of being in the same place is pretty nice you know that is kind of one of the nice things about this you know covid thing is you know everyone who maybe di- every comic who didn't necessarily get that chance to fe- feel some stability no matter where they were socioeconomically you get mm-hmm. to feel some sort of like regularity yeah not everyone's taken that well by the way no, no, and and it's not everyone's nature to you know. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely, you know, the minute we can get back out on the road safely, then I'm I'm down, mm-hmm. I'm down. But um, you know, all that time spent away from the store, I was like, oh man, all these Friday and Saturday nights I've spent working here, just telling people where to sit, and it's like I could be doing an hour of comedy a night between two mm-hmm. shows. Yeah, I could be doing two to three hours of comedy every weekend. I'd like to do that. So I, um, you know, it just, it came time and it's funny, you know, 2017, I was, you know, I kind of (laughs) started not working at the store and I wasn't Mm -hmm. really on the road much. Uh, so I was Mm -hmm. like, ah, shit, did I fuck this up? (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe anybody can because everything's forward progression. Yeah. I, I, in retrospect, I'm not, I'm not mad at my choices because I think Mm -hmm. no matter what choice you make, it's the right choice. You just, you don't know what lessons are going to come from that. Oh, for sure. I honestly believe that the hard choices to make are the ones that matter the least. Yeah. That's what makes them hard. Because you're like, do I want A that's almost B? Or I want B that's almost A? But if it's something C is just clearly better, it's an easy choice. Sure, sure. When, have, you made, have you made a choice like that recently? I can't think of one, but I, like, I constantly am like, the way you were when you got your confidence at the San Francisco Comedy Festival, yeah. I lately have been sitting back and been like, when do I grab my confidence 
to go out there and pursue the clubs and the opening spots more. Cause I feel like this whole like eight, nine years, I'm like, I'm just preparing to get better and better and better. And now like, I'm finally at a point where I'm like, no, I feel confident in like my 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Now it's time to double down on it and actually go out there and get those spots that I feel like I can do. Sure. But, and I think I've seen, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I've seen you get that validation. It might not have been in the same way that I have gotten that validation, but whether it's from individuals or in institutions, I feel like we all get the, those little pieces of validation. That's what keeps us going. But Yes, um, and I'll give you that. I do sure. believe I have that. I don't believe I felt like I deserved it until now. Oh, I, felt like yeah. I felt like it was just like I snuck it in and I got it. And now it's just like, no, no, no. I think I've earned this now. And now it's time for me to accept that I've earned this and push yeah. it forward. Yeah, and, and I think that's the, the big part of it is just like, and this goes with no matter what industry you're in, it's like realizing, oh, you know, once that validation comes from, you know, within yourself, you can like, actually, I don't want to get too self-helpy about it, but like, but it's a true thing. That happens sometimes in this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to, you know, give yourself some credit. Yeah. And get yourself some real confidence. Cause like, I feel like I faked it for like the last seven, eight years. And now I'm like, no, I think I have some real confidence in this. (laughs) I feel like I can get on stage and handle the audience the way I want to handle them. And, and it does. They're going to enjoy it. And it does come from those places that you know you were kind of just like you know I've been in a lot of places where I'm like, why am I here? Why am I? Why am I performing in this bowling alley right now? Why am I? Why did I drive four hours to perform at a wine bar, mm-hmm. and then drive back to LA that same night? And it's like it's all it's all part of that skin thickening that you know allows us to you know give ourselves credit when those big things come it's like oh all this stuff added up to this oh yeah no i do everything as training it's like when i go to san diego for the weekend and i come back or like you know like the same night i drive up to fresno and then drive back right after the show it's like oh no that's what i'm training for for when i have to go to la to phoenix to albuquerque like it's like the yeah. same same thing i'm just training all this now um yeah and eventually we'll and eventually we'll travel better uh, <laughs> for yeah. sure uh i hope yeah eventually eventually we'll be able to you know maybe charter a flight at a decent time uh, <laughs> to get to these places that sounds or, like or, that's 15 or, years or, away but, or get it or get a tour bus who knows when you know it's not it's saying tomorrow but i know but i like how your mindset is like eventually we'll have our tour buses and in my mind it's like eventually i'll open for somebody who has the tour bus you know <laughs> just that's like fine. wait i know i get it but also think bigger like i'm trying to like yeah i've been i've been listening to more people who are who speak about things that they want not from a a wanting perspective Mm -hmm. but just saying like believing you already have it like you already are Mm -hmm. that thing like not like i want to be a comedian it's like i am comedy exactly and so i was like oh okay that's a you again not to get too self-helpy but it's like oh it's like well let's you know it's it's nice to reframe things once in a while and not be so caught up in like chasing something you Uh you don't be wily coyote be fucking roadrunner yeah no yeah no that's totally right and have the wily coyotes just try to chase you down to hurt themselves because they're in the wrong mindset roadrunner's doing his thing coyote's obsessed over roadrunner yeah yeah just about catching something that's you know never never within reach yeah exactly as opposed to the roadrunner who's just like "Ah, i'm running fast i'm doing what i want to do i'm living the life i want to live 
you um, know, keep going, man. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to change the topic, but if you have more on this topic, have I wanted it, to ask you because you have an album coming out. It's, it's out, man. It's, it is it's out, out now. Okay. Never mind. Let, let me go back. I'm not going to edit this. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this right now, Stu is an album out. It's right out right now. And it I is. wanted to ask you, at what point did you know you were like ready for an album and started like hunting down the prospects of like, where am I going to do it? Where, like, how am I going to record it? Like, like when did that gear hit and how did it like strike you? I, it's, this is actually the second attempt I've made at recording an album. And Hmm. I, I say that because, you know, I think it's important to highlight things where it didn't quite work out because there's lessons there too. Mm -hmm. I, in, you know, in 2017, right after I finished working at the store, I thought, you know what, I've worked on a lot of material. I want to put this stuff together. I had an opportunity to go down to La Jolla, to the comedy store down there, and feature for someone. And uh, I was going to try and put together an album from four feature sets, Mm -hmm. which is a, it's a great idea if you are trying to put together a 20 to 30 minute album. Mm. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was trying to do something a little bit more ambitious, which is come to get, come up with like uh, an album of the length that I was accustomed to when I first started ingesting albums uh, as a 16-year-old. So, so like, 50, 60 minutes. Yeah, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 45 to 55 minutes. And so I tried to do that. And it, I, I, I was really strategic about it and I had, you know, someone, you know, help me mic the room and my, he mic'd mm-hmm. it super well. And uh, it just, when I heard the feedback, it just it was, I think I was so in my head that it was, I was not getting the reaction because I wasn't really there. I was going to ask, since you're very specifically like this show, I'm doing this material because I need, mm-hmm. you know, like this next show I'm doing this other completely different material. Doesn't it make it harder to go through the set knowing you're like, no, I can't go back on like these. I can't close with the same thing I closed with last set because I need the recording of this other bit. Yeah, and it's not it's not super fun to do either. So it's I, I it, that was another reason why I think it didn't work out mm-hmm. uh, that at that time. But it taught me some things. It's like, okay, well maybe we got to do this differently. And you know, it's like, okay, well maybe the next time I do it, I try to find a place where I can headline like two nights, you know, just two Mm -hmm. shows, two nights, I can work with those two shows. And what I ended up getting was, you know, one night to headline. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being, it ended up going really well, but I, I, I put in a lot more practice into it. And I, I was able to schedule much longer sets leading up to it. So I could really figure out how to put everything together. And, uh, you know, I also like wrote out the material by hand a lot more. And or typed it out to like, okay, so this, you know, th- there needs to be something here. And it kind of, it allowed me to, um, it's kind of like playing operation where it's like, you got to take tweezers and you got to pull mm-hmm. out that little wishbone or that little rib. Uh, it was, it was m- much more, it's more focused on like the fun of doing stand up than like just trying to like fit into a certain box. For sure. Yeah. Like, cause I feel like I need to be a little bit looser just so I can feel fun. So they can feel like it's time to have fun. Like yeah. the stiffer I am on stage, of course the audience responds. Yeah. And also, you know, doing it three years later, almost to the day was like recording it three years later was, there was marked 
you know, uh, assuredness in mm-hmm. my, you know, in the way I saw myself and the way I, I conveyed the material. And I also got rid of stuff that wasn't, that stopped applying to me and was, you know, half, well, yeah. half finished and allowed well, you're me to three like years more events. mature in standup. Yeah. The difference between, seven, yeah, the difference between like seven years and 10 years is pretty, is a pretty sizable difference. Yeah, Huge. I, I would say if, as far as even the first year, the difference between one year to two to three to four, they're all giant steps. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like a percentage, it's like two years mm-hmm. versus one year is a hundred percent different. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's 100% more growth. And I know everyone who's like three years in is like, no, I think I can pass for someone who's seven years in. I guarantee you, you can't. And it's not because you're not funny enough. It's just, it takes a long time to grow those right muscles. Yeah, and there and there might be a few people who can put together a, um, uh, an album that they're proud of at, at any length of time less than ten years. I have I will say the majority of the people that I have run into, who have done so, uh, in some way regretted it. <laughs> I, <you laughs> or wish, know exactly. wish they didn't put it out. I don't. No, I know I don't exactly wanna, what you're saying. We're I don't not want to disparage them, but we all we all got to we all got to learn. Exactly. And I was given the advice early where they're just like, try not to release anything in your first 10 years, you know, like nothing. And because then when you have something like 10 years in, you're good. You have all of the back stuff to have out or to not have out, you know, like to help or hurt you. And that's always like a thing in the back of my mind. Cause now like that I'm reaching like nine years in, I'm like, Oh crap. I'm a, I should be releasing stuff now. I like haven't released anything. Yeah. I have a couple private videos on uh, YouTube and a couple other random things that have shown up, but like almost nothing. Hmm. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we only have anonymity for, you know, as long as we, you know, actively maintain it, you know, once, Mm -hmm. once your stuff is out there, it's out there. And I think there was a little bit of like fear about putting stuff, you know, putting this stuff out even to a degree, but I was, I'm grateful for the help I had. Um, sure. Yeah, you know Kyle at Rad- Radland Records and um, you know Abhai at the at the setup in San Francisco. You know, helping me with the sound and mm-hmm. Anna and Luke for opening the show. And it's like the, having those pieces in place allowed me to have more fun and you know feel more confident that the material I put out there was what I wanted. Yeah, fuck yeah, that sounds great. I um, want to ask you how you got the type because. I think of the the horror movie Candyman. The album title's Dandy Man. Yes. Yeah. It is so I'm like, Dan- oh, yeah, it's called Dandy Man. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I'm like, oh, like Candyman, the horror movie. And then I'm like, students don't watch that horror movie. And then I'm like, I don't know what Stu watches. I can't throw that on you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. I'm. Uh, believe it or not, I'm not a horror movie guy. Uh, mm-hmm. it, believe by, it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Um, I do like some suspense movies, uh, but I, I, it's mostly at the pushing of my girlfriend who loves horror movies. So mm-hmm. I am not, uh, I'm not inclined to seek uh, terror as a form of entertainment. Yeah, um, but oddly enough, women love murderers. So they're just like, oh, yes, everything about murder, we're in. Yeah. Sorry to put such a big drape on the whole thing. The women <laughs> in my life seem to really love murder stories. Well, I think when, I mean, it's, it's, in some ways it's believable. Yeah, if we want to put a, you know, a general, you know, take on it, you know, let's do that for just a second. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you know, if women really do love, you know, true crime, and I think and I think many women would agree, 
I think there is something about the justice element that comes with true crime. For sure. That, that you know, at least, you know, in talking with my girlfriend, you know, that she doesn't see in real life uh, when she does see justice <laughs> served mm-hmm. in some way. It's like, oh, at least someone is doing something to make the lives of people like me a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, in, in a world of so many, like, open cases and, you know, uh, a lot of injustice on so many levels, it's nice to see one, you know, tip in the net. <laughs> That's true. No, you don't find the true crime things about completely unsolved things where they don't have a murderer at all. Like they're always in captivity. Sure. Yeah, as a in you know, as a as a straight white dude, like a lot of there's a lot of you know justice. By the way, kind congratulations of, for that. By the way, uh, thank you. I have. Uh, I'll you pick that it. name. I'll pick that name up off the floor. Um, the <laughs> I, I there's there is a lot of justice that that comes my way, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not because I asked for it. It just kind of happens, mm-hmm. and. If, you know, if I, you know, if I lived, if I lived a different life and was born a different way, I might see the world a little bit differently. So, Mm. um, you know, I can't help it, but, you know, it just, when things go my way in a lot of circumstances through no fault of my own, you know, why would I be inclined to, uh, you know, seek out times when, you know, justice isn't served? Yeah, oh, for sure. It's not my wheelhouse. Wait, but but how did you name your album? Where did Dandy Man come from? So Dandy Man came from, I, th- I think it was just sort of an epiphany I had because I was, I think everyone in, who's introducing themselves in comedy, because every, I think most comedians first album is an introduction to the public mm-hmm. in a big way. And I wanted to introduce the audience to who I am. And as a straight white dude who is, not always traditionally masculine in the way that people still envision masculinity to be, I felt it important to try to, you know, give that a name. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, for sure. and I think, um, and I think Dandy Man captures that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It indicates it, in, it kind of gives people an idea of my sense of taste. It gives people an idea of how I will conduct myself and it kind of hopefully gives them a preview of what jokes they might uh, they might hear. Uh, but I do feel like uh, what's nice is I do like to play with the, I don't know if you experienced this when you were doing stand-up, is um, where people would try to assign a role to you or like an identity onto you, mm-hmm. whether it was the Mormon thing or, you know, any any physical attribute about you. I would say even outside of stand-up, the short guy thing is something that's constantly on my head where I feel like I can't have a chip mm-hmm. on my shoulder because I'm so short. They just attribute that to this negative stereotype. Sure, yeah. It's like, okay, is this the is this the trope that I recognize of short guy who's pretty muscular? What is he trying to prove? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, is he, you know, you know, is he Italian American? Like what do I have? <laughs> like what do I know <laughs> about this guy? Um, so I, and uh, for me as a guy who just, you know, I, I look like nothing's ever happened to me, uh, <laughs> correct ever. And so I do like to play with that and show mm-hmm. people, you know, what I have experienced and what I haven't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what's great about this album is that people will get a bit of that. They'll, oh, they'll, get, the fir- sure. they'll get the first layer of the onion 
the stew onion <laughs> peeled off for them. I have one more major topic I want to cover before the end of this. Sure. And that's I'd be remiss to not talk about your podcast. Oh, sure. Yeah. So the late I, night podcast. Because you're a guy who mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't know if you told me this or this is something we just attributed to you as a scene, but like you love The Tonight Show. I, I love late night talk shows in general. I, mm-hmm. I was 15 when I first saw Conan uh, in the, on NBC. And mm-hmm. I just saw there was some sort of like, there was a rigidness, but there was also a freedom within that, those parameters that a network like NBC gave him. And I really, it's kind of like, you know, what I felt going through school, which is, you know, okay, I have this level of intelligence, and which means the parameters that this public school that I'm going to is giving me might allow me some free time where I can mm-hmm. goof off as long as I've done my work. Sure. And that's kind of what Conan would do. And, you know, he's like, okay, I've done my work. I've had my guests on. I've had, I have my band. I have my sidekick sometimes. And now here's a raccoon with a jetpack floating around the studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and it's like, you can't, you can't mess with me because I'm not swearing and mm-hmm. I've done my work. So I really like that. And I, I like the, I like the structure of a talk show. I like, you know, you know, I, I was never really drawn to the tonight show with, Jay Leno, I just don't think he was speaking to people my age, and it's not mm-hmm. it's not his fault. It's just how, by virtue of how old he is and the time slot he's in. You know, he knows who's buttering his bread. It's people our parents' age. Oh yeah, and, the advertisers. Yeah, so I I love talk shows, and I I got an opportunity to to host my own at the Improv a few years ago on a monthly basis, and I decided to bring in uh, my buddy Luke and uh luke schwartz and so we cr- started to create our own talk show format and now we do it weekly as a, a podcast we we started as a live show and we went to podcasts we didn't we didn't go the other way like uh several podcasts have well yeah well i mean because corona that's how everything turned out yeah and so and we've been we've really enjoyed you know it's, it's called the late night show with Stuart and luke uh we spell it with an l and the number eight uh people are trying to find it but um it's it's kind of for those who are not familiar with it. It is a talk show where it's kind of like if Andy Richter didn't like Conan at all. Uh, so you know, I I try to. <laughs> That's run just in a descriptor sh- of Luke, by the way. Yeah, you guys, Luke hasn't been on this show yet, but that is yes. exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like I I try to run in on a show and Luke will interrupt me, and but you know we we interview guests and you know a lot of a lot of times it's friends of ours and uh, and sometimes it's people we don't know as well, but you know. Uh, you know, from our comedy scene or people we admire. And we, you know, it's, it's more about our friendship than it is about the guest, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, but it is, um, it's a lot of fun. And I, I still enjoy doing it with Luke after, you know, four and a half years of uh, between the live show and the podcast. Which is, I find amazing that anybody enjoys uh, Luke after four and a half years so closely. <laughs> Well, the government paid me for a while to look after him while we were living together. <laughs> I got a little stipend, so it was. Uh, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's part. It's part. Uh, it's part. You know. You know, assisted living. <laughs> yeah, and then shockingly, is. he's the one that got married before all of us. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm. Yeah. We. Part of the reason why we stopped living together is you know Luke wanted to start to set up roots with uh, his now wife and um, you know 
he does tell me to keep my name uh, for me to keep his name out my mouth but i uh <laughs> but well, just plug uh, you luke so deal with it yeah but uh but i am very happy for uh for him now that he is uh getting to do that even in this uh weird time of course yeah i'm uh, i'm happy for him too like i i remember him getting engaged but for some reason it didn't occur to me that he would actually end up getting married too I think and the, then it happened and I was like in shock. <laughs> I was like, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, yeah, he had a, I got to be a part of the reception that, and, and it was, it was really lovely and he was improvised considering, you know, how we can all interact with each other now. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, he, he's, he's someone who, you know, although he presents a, um, an exterior that is not, does not always appear friendly um he is someone that i i value highly as a friend and oh yeah i i want to say it doesn't appear friendly but it always appears very honest Mm. and that's what i love about it yes yeah and uh you know there's no um yeah there's no there's no room for uh beating around the bush with our show (laughs) or uh with uh my interaction with luke wait so was his wedding over like zoom or something because it was wasn't during corona uh yeah it was um the re- it was a reception they did their ceremony yeah. separately but it was so a- be honest how much of that did you put on mute <laughs> Stuart Thompson's album, Dandy Man, is out now on every platform you can get albums. So I know it's on Spotify and Amazon and Apple and just please go check it out. By the way, I do want to mention this. I talked to Stuart about this before we even started recording and I his voice is not that high. For some reason, what he was using, whatever the system was, when it was coming through, it was coming in high pitched as I was interviewing him. So I knew at the time that I was interviewing him that I was recording a more high-pitched Stuart Thompson than I've ever actually talked to. Please go listen to the recording and hear how rich and beautiful of a voice he has. He has a great voice. You can find him on YouTube and look at the clips and you can be like, oh yes, this sounds like the chipmunk version of what I just heard on Putting Up With Air Michael Marsh. And that's not a prank I played on him. I did not do that on purpose, speed up his voice just to kind of fuck with him a little bit, but... I did, after listening to this, think I should do that to somebody, and I should definitely play a prank. That's like an extra level of putting up with Aaron Michael Marsh's me going ahead and screwing with the master recording. And he told me, I know, he was just like, oh, we could, whatever you have to do to slow it down, but it's all, I recorded it all on one track. So, so it was like, well, my voice is either going to be regular and his is going to be high-pitched, or his can get regular, and then mine is just super slow, like I'm Snuffleupagus. And so, <clears throat> I had to choose a sword, and it was also like, I really liked the interview. I really liked what we talked about. I really like his album, and I want to promote it immediately. So I was like, no, I'm releasing this like this. I apologize if it bothered you. I apologize if you're Stuart Thompson, and you listen, and you went, well, that's not what I sound like. And I know at the, when I first started recording, he's like, no, I'm fine, just call, let's do it like this. You know, he didn't know what I was hearing. And I still think his comedy chops came through, you know? His timing was still there, you know, the tone. 
I really, I feel like it. We all we overcame it because it was the show must go on. You know, like in Stewart's worked on his craft for so long that he was like, no, I can be funny no matter what filter you put on my voice. And not that I put a filter on his voice. That's just the way it sounded. You know what I'm talking about. You heard the episode, guys. That was fun. I enjoyed it, and I've never actually like Stewart and I have known each other for nine years. No, we've talked that long before. I was gonna say we've yeah, we. It's just effortless. It's a good click. It's a good click. Listen to his album, Dandy Man. That's what I was here to talk to you about. Listen to his podcast, Late Night, spelled with L and an eight, like a prison license mat. I don't. It's not a mat. What is it? It's a plate. A license plate. Late night, and um, when things get back to normal, hopefully he ends up back at the improv. I like that he was doing it at the improv. It was super cool. And now it's just out there in the podcast sphere. And, of course, find him on Instagram, on Twitter. Great Twitter. Now, this next episode I have on next week, or later on this week, on Friday, is a guy that I delightfully call Danny Gabe. Or Gabe Danny. I've switched it around, but Danny Gabe is where I stuck. He's, I mean, Danny and I hung out like twice my sophomore year of high school, and then he disappeared, came back my senior year of high school, and we were inseparable. And then I moved to Chicago, I moved back, and when I moved back into Tucson, I mean, I lived at his house. It feels like for two years, for free. I mean, like it was... We became brothers. We really did. It was really, it's an intense relationship that we have. And then the most interesting thing happened. Danny got married and he didn't tell me he was getting married because he was having a very religious wedding and I was a very not religious man. And so he, we just stopped talking. He got married. I didn't know he got married and we just lost contact for, for a long time. And then he came back into my life recently and we talk like once or twice a year and it's always intense and it's always wonderful and he's been listening to this podcast and he's been listening from day one and he told me he sent me an email that was like hey i have some questions about the podcast about a lot of different episodes very specific questions about very specific episodes and i was like let's do it on the podcast and he was down and so he actually interviews me for an entire hour that we're going to release on friday where he clarifies things and we go into great detail about the miscarriage that i talked about in episode one the relationship with my mother and relationship with my father what it was 15 years ago versus what it is now and i love where it is now by the way you know we talk about my relationship with my brothers and sisters and i love where that is now in fact i would say with all of them my relationship with my siblings right now is at the best it's been my whole life really we're peaking and I don't see it dipping down in strength. And it's only going to get stronger as our kids get older and things. But that's covered so much in this next episode. It's a really, it's a deep dive into me. I apologize to Danny for it being an interview about me to me. But it's what it was pitched and it's what was done. And it was free-flowing and I love it. And it's a good emotional dive. Check that out Friday. It comes out. Danny Gabe. You're going to interview me for an hour about me and about the podcast. So you guys may have had these questions through time, too. And you get a lot of, we get, yeah, like, I actually am really proud about the depth that we went into specifically about the miscarriage. You guys can check that out. Um, 
As always, you can check me out at Aaron M. Marsh on everything. You can rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. My listens are higher than ever, and I thank all of you for that. All of you. You guys, you guys have been listening and attentive, and I'm getting so many DMs about every, every episode, and I'm really, I'm so thankful. I, I really, I love all of this. I love that. I love that this is a possible thing in today's world. You know, like I feel like I'm reaching a lot of you, and I feel like you guys are reaching back. And I absolutely adore it. So thank you for listening. And thank you for putting up with me. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. Whether I find a place in this world or never belong. I've got to be me, I gotta be me, what else can I be but what I am? I'll go it alone, that's how it must be, I can't be right for anyone else if I'm not right for me, I've got to be free, I gotta be free.